If you have a Bible, turn to uh, Proverbs 16. That's where we're going to kind of be that most of the morning. We started a new series a couple weeks ago. This is for our mini churches. Our mini churches are small groups that happen twice a year where you, you have further conversation and dialogue about our Sunday morning services. And we're only on week three right now. It's not too late to still join those, as Dan said. Uh, but we started the series called Not Yours. And we're looking at all these things that we have a tendency as humans and even as Americans, for sure, in some of these, um, that we want to possess these things, we want to claim these things as ours. So we're just reminding ourselves they're not ours, they're not yours, they're not mine. As we were driving home from a party yesterday where our kids got little presents, they were in the back of the car fighting over them. That's mine, that's mine, no, it's mine. And we're like, thank you for the sermon illustration tomorrow, uh, reiterating the point that we do this, not just as kids, but even as adults. And yet God has clearly said that our lives are not ours, but they're his. In 1 Corinthians uh, 6, it says, You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God. Not only has God made stake and claim on our lives that it's, it's his life and really not ours, we, we are just, they're on loan to us as we are stewards. We're talking about this whole year. Um, but even if you're someone who maybe you don't believe in God or you're not really sure how all that stuff goes, let me tell you, this is a gift for you to be able to turn these things over to God because ultimately we're not the best managers of these things and even when we think we can manage them or control our lives, they just lead to more worry, more stress, more anxiety. America, one of the, the greatest economies and easiest places to live in the world is one of the most stressed and uh, not happy places we talked about a couple, weeks, a couple weeks ago and it's because of that. So we looked at first week, it's not my life, but it's God's life and it's to be lived for his glory. Last week we looked at it's not my money, uh, but ultimately, money should not be our, our, our masters, but should be our servants, and God wants to do that with our, our finances. And then this week, we're looking at Proverbs 16, 9. A man or a woman, and both, both apply, a man and woman's heart plans their way, but the Lord directs their steps. This week, we're looking at plans, the things that we like to call my plans. They're, they're my plans. And it's ironic that I'm here to share with you about that today because ultimately Jack Gilbert, you weren't supposed to come up yet, honey. It says right here, invite Jerry up in a minute. Uh, and, uh, Jack Gilbert, our, one of our pastors on staff, was going to speak this morning about plans. And, uh, and ironically, both him and I both lost our voices this week. So it was a race to see whose voice would come back sooner. I got mine back on Wednesday and he just got his on yesterday or Friday. So I drew the short straw. And even though we have Dan and Nate and other great speakers, Jerry had told me middle of the week, you know, maybe, maybe we should do it together. Um, we have never done this before, and uh, most of first service stayed. Uh, so now you're seeing the more polished version, um, but we've actually never spoken together, and this was really fun, actually. We really enjoyed um, studying and doing this together. So I hope this goes well with you, and we're going to look at uh, my plans, because this, just this week in speaking is basically typical to a lot of our lives. Things that we have planned don't always go according to plan. Are you with me? Right? We, we, we are excited as a family. We've been dreaming about a trip for a couple of years, didn't know how it would be possible, and, and, and God's made a way for us to be able to uh, borrow and rent, rent someone's RV this summer to take a couple-week trip to Colorado to see where my whole family's at. And all five of us are going to pull in this RV, and we're going to spend a couple weeks together. I know. Nightmare and dreams together, right? Sermon illustrations, it's going to be something else. I'll journal about it, and I'm sure you'll hear about it for years to come. Uh, but we were so excited about this. But here's the difference. My wife and I, we we're both hugely spontaneous people. It's, it's a good thing and a bad thing sometimes, but we have vacationed around the world. 
the West Coast, across the country, and Italy, and, and we started all these vacations with not a single reservation, nothing. We just go and we figure it out about mid-afternoon. I mean, some of you are like, that's awesome. Some of you are like, oh my, you guys are crazy. Well, our oldest son is not like that. Uh, his name is Nathan. He's eight, and he already has a journal he has started for our family vacation this summer. He has pages, to-do lists, schedules for the day. I'm like, man, you're boxing me in already. I mean, like, I wouldn't know where we're going on Tuesday until Monday that week. And, uh, you know, so the, the bottom line is, and, and I'm sure that'll be fun for 14 weeks, uh, 14 days with him and us figuring out this vacation together. We all do it differently, but what the Bible tells us in Proverbs 16, though, is every single one of us, though, have a heart that is full of plans. We do. And I think when we're older, or when we're younger, I think our plans are grandiose. Like we have these big dreams and these big plans. And then I think as we get older, our plans become more like, I'm going to do this today. I want to succeed at this today. And our plans kind of shift, but regardless of where we are in our season of life, we all definitely have a thought, either dreams of in the future or in the immediacy of now, like this is what I want to accomplish by this summer, or I want to do this, or I want to run this, or do this. So we all definitely have plans. That's the first point, just really simply this morning, that we all have plans in our heart, young and old, um, big and small, and, and, and it's true. There's like the present plans, which are the things that you're thinking about. It's really sunny out. It was raining last week. I need to get these things done before I get to work tomorrow, and so I want to get these things done in the yard, and whatever else may be going through some of your planner minds, right? There's, there's the daily plans, but then there's those future plans, which oftentimes, I mean, that's what really we define maybe more for men than women, but we, what you define a midlife crisis as is when someone all of a sudden hits a point in their life where everything that they've been planning and dreaming about, now they're starting to wonder, is it going to happen? Maybe it's not going to happen. These things didn't take place. And, and it just further reiterates what the Bible says is true about each of us, that they're there, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, when we're young, we dream of changing the world or starting a business or, or um, I mean, for me, I wanted to be an aeronautical engineer. <laughs> you know, some of your plans are stupid when you're kids, and uh, you take an engineering class or calculus and you realize... You know, being a pastor doesn't require a lot of education in the science and math field. Um, and so I, I, I decided to become a pastor. But then there's dreams about being a pastor and what, what you want to do and what you want to accomplish. Uh, I, Jerry had some plans. Yeah, I was totally different, either because I'm a girl or because I'm different. But since I was 12, I wanted to be married. I just <laughs> wanted to go through life with someone since I was 12. Pressure. Um, Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. I, would, I made a book from high school all the way through grad school, and I had my first, I invented Pinterest. I would collect everything. Did y'all ever do this? Magazine articles and cool poems and decorations for a wedding and the wedding dresses I liked. And it wasn't the little half-inch binder. It was the big, big three-inch three binder. And I would fill that with stuff because I had a desire for that. Um, and I also, there's this little verse that if you know me, you know it's my little drumbeat. I've come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Well, that became my plan. Like, I was going to have the abundant life Jesus died to give me. It became this drumbeat that I always had. Um, but let me read this verse to you again. Wait, 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 before you do, before you do, real quick. I, it's just important to know that your plans, right, are, I'll come right back. Uh, your plans, though, are, are not a bad thing. That they're given to us by God, and ultimately, he gives them to us to steward. Now, we'll talk about some of those plans that may not be realistic and some that are, but that, that God is the one, because each one of you was created for a purpose and for a reason. And, and I don't think we can just breeze over that really quick, is that every single one of you, God made you for a reason. He made you for a purpose. 
And, 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 there, and there shouldn't be, and some of you may say, I don't even know what that is, or I don't even know, what, that's okay. There may be an exploration or some things for you. We even go through seasons, or sometimes we know what it is, and sometimes we don't. But you need to be rest assured that those dreams come from the Lord, and or to seek Him for more if you don't feel like you have them, because God has made each of you for a reason and purpose. You need to understand that. In a world where we are consumed with, with uh, understanding science and evolution and all these things, and it doesn't really matter how you view that, what you have a tendency to do is just think, well, it, we've, we're just kind of evolving. No, the Bible says very specifically that before God made the world, before it even began to evolve in however way you want to think of that, God says, I designed you and your life first. And that is so important for you to know and so important for you to understand. And by the way, just so you don't think it's a gender thing, I just have lots of energy and my wife doesn't. So she sits and I stand because I have a lot of energy, but it has nothing to do with being a male and a female. It's just a in case you were thing. wondering. All right, go ahead. Mm -hmm. This is Proverbs 16, 9 again. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his step. Okay, if ever you see a butt in the Bible, it's always a big butt, and you need to pay attention to it, right? Did you catch that? A man's heart plants his way. What Mark said is true. There's all these dreams that we have, and we'll talk a little bit more about that later. But the Lord has to direct his steps. So our second point is this. Our plans are not meant to direct our lives. So, so important. Even though each of us have plans <laughs> and dreams and things that we want to see accomplished, they're not the director, but they oftentimes fall into the place of directing our lives. We think about, we're going to look at the, the, the man, the character in the Bible, Moses, a little bit this morning. Moses was, had this incredible story. He was born with a purpose and a plan, just like any of us, but his was like evident in a miraculous way from the very beginning. He was born in Egypt uh, as a Hebrew to the, to the Israel nation. And, um, and let me read this to you. It, it describes it, even though a story takes place in Exodus in the Old Testament, in Acts 7, it describes a little bit about the story of Moses. It said, at the time Moses was born, he was no ordinary child. For three months, he was, carried f he was cared for by his family, but then he was placed outside, and Pharaoh's daughter took him and brought him as her own. You see, the Pharaoh in the land of Egypt at that time was nervous about the growing population of the nation of Israel, and so to try to keep, keep wraps on and keep it it's smaller and not, not have it grow and outnumber the Egyptians, they basically issued a law that says we're going to kill every Hebrew male baby. Uh, and so when they were born, they attempted to kill him. And so Moses' mom hid him in a basket and sent him up the river, and he ended up growing up in the royal family's home. I mean, that's amazing, and that's God's providence. Uh, and so he escaped death in verse 22. He was educated then in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in speech and action. No ordinary birth, no ordinary escape from death. And then he grew up in the royal home. He had a calling and a purpose on his life. And then later on in Acts chapter 7 in verse 23, listen to this. When Moses was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. He saw one of them being mistreated by an Egyptian. So he went to his defense and avenged him by killing the Egyptian. Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. It's so fascinating to me that there's a blueprint inside each one of us of, like, who we're supposed to be, things we're supposed to do, where we're supposed, like, how we're supposed to work. But it's interesting. I wrote this. Moses wasn't trusting in God to fulfill what he kind of saw, but rather he was trusting in the plan itself. Like, this is the plan, people, but he did not even have the steps figured out. But he was using the plan to direct him, which, of course, made him run. He ran to the desert and then spent another 40 years kind of 
a little lost and not sure of what he was going to do. Yeah, well, look at that. Like, but with our plans, it's very similar to what we talked about last week when we view my money. We, we said last week that money makes a good servant but not a good master. When money is our master, when money is over us, it controls us and manipulates us. Well, guess what? Our plans are no different, are they? You see, when, when uh, a great pastor, Tim Keller, he always says, when good things become ultimate things, that's what the Bible calls idolatry. When we take a good thing, a lot of the plans that are in your lives are good. Even God puts some of them in there. But when they become the ultimate thing, they become an idol. And what idols do is they manipulate us, they control us, because they tell us that is where joy, fulfillment, satisfaction is found. So all of a sudden, these great dreams and plans, I want to start a company or run a business or I want to be married or I want to be a pastor that's effective or whatever it is in your own life, there's nothing wrong with that. But once they become the director of your life, then all of a sudden they begin to control us. And, and the image I have in my mind this morning of is, like, is, is like of a marionette doll. Do you remember um, marionette dolls? They're creepy. Yeah, they are creepy. So I found a cute one, goofy. All right. I, I wanted my parents to buy me one of these when I was a kid and they wouldn't do it. And I was so upset. And my mom listens to my sermons every week. Yes, mom, that's right. I'm still bitter about it. Um, but anyway, goofy. Please don't right? buy him a bunch of marionettes. No, please don't do that. Um, so I, I wanted this marionette doll and you play with it, right? So this goofy, it's all attached to strings. You know, and it's all, it, you move it, you move it by the top, and you make its arms, its legs, and its body move. Well, I found another image which really kind of depicts into our own lives um, of, of humans and what it looks like sometimes. And I like this image because they're carrying briefcases, and oftentimes our careers, our ambitions, our, our dreams that, that are attached to what we do, we don't realize it, but because they begin to direct us, they control us like a marionette doll. And, and we have to accomplish these things at all costs. And so I just wrote down a couple simple things. What happens when, when plans become the ultimate things? How do they control our lives? Number one, we become driven and obsessed by them. That anything and everything has to get out of the way for them to be accomplished, for me to be recognized, for me to be successful, for me to make it to this. It's, it's get out of the way. And that's how we've been talking about this for a few weeks, that, that we force family and important things out of our way because this has to be accomplished at all costs. When our plans and our dreams become the ultimate things, we become driven and obsessed by them. Not only to become driven and obsessed, but number two, when they don't happen, we become devastated. I mean, it's one thing, right? You see some people, maybe it's in a sporting event or something and they lose or, or something they really wanted doesn't happen and they become disappointed. It's another thing when that disappointment is devastation. And devastation points to something that is promising you more than what it really should. Oh my goodness, now I don't, where am I going to find joy? Where am I going to find my purpose? And we are devastated. It's a real thing, and I, like because being married was one of my dreams and one of my plans, that was the filter that I saw everything through. So if I dated a boy and another boy and another boy, there were like five of them, but they were good relationships. They just, I would put that boy in the spot of the husband that I desired, which of course means they're going to not meet up to that. And then when we would break up, I would be devastated because it wasn't so much all oh, the circumstance makes my heart break. It was like, oh, the plan, this isn't going to work. And this is what I've put, I've put everything in this. And you're supposed to be the one that does this. And I would, it would be devastated. And I would cry and I'd get mad at God and... It was never the boy he was intending to give me. Our second son is named Zachary. He's five, and he's our, he's our like, little bundle of joy and happiness. I mean, he's always just having fun, and he's just really people-oriented. <laughs> but at the same time, he's also the one whose emotions run high and then run low. And uh, they're running a little low this morning, I found out. But he gets 
devastated at these little things, right? I mean, it's happened on the soccer field. You know, I, I talked about it last year. He didn't, do, he didn't know one exercise, and it's done. He is shutting down. Like, no, it's terrible. And he told Jerry recently, no, I just never have fun. Life is always miserable. And you're like, hey, pull it together. Like, like, it's okay. You can watch a cartoon later, and everything's going to be fine, right? But you just assume you're going to grow out of that. But you know what? That's something that happens in the human heart, and it happens in all of us, and we become adults, and and when we don't mature in that or that understanding or knowing who Jesus is, those things just for a five-year-old become a 20-year-old and a 30-year-old and a 40-year-old issue. That I can't believe this has happened and we become devastated because we, we now all of a sudden can't find, we're being manipulated. It's, it's, it's a marionette. Number three though, uh, not only do we become devastated, but then we become angry and furious with whatever or with whomever gets in our way. Have you ever had just like an irrational anger and you're like wondering where did that come from? Yesterday was a really busy day. We had soccer in the morning, and then I went to a funeral service, and then we had baseball, and then we we're going to a party. And in the midst of between soccer and memorial service, I was in the house getting ready for the uh, for, for one of the next events. I don't know what it was. And Nathan comes in; he's getting ready to play baseball, and his cleats are full of mud, and he wants to get the mud off in the middle of our house. And I didn't realize what he was doing. He comes in and brings a little trash can, a little bathroom trash can, sets it down, and he starts cleaning his shoes off. Right, and and it's going everywhere. And I mean, my first. Three seconds was, Nathan, what are you doing? And then, you know, it's terrible you're preaching messages because then they come through. And, you're, and all of a sudden I'm realizing, like right now, I'm really upset and angry, mainly because I don't have time for this. Right? He's getting in the way of my plans, and we don't have any time. We don't have any flexibility. And, and everything in me doesn't always happen, I'm telling you, but God just stopped me cold turkey, and I stopped, and I said, and I looked at him, and I realized, you know, in his eight-year-old mind, he thought he was doing good. I mean, he brought a trash can over. So I tried to praise him for that. <laughs> That was really a good idea to bring the trash can, right? Trying to practice my sermon. But even better would be to go to the front porch and whack your shoes out. Okay, Dad, right? But, but I started off in anger because why? Nothing of anything other than he's getting in the way of my plans. Not to mention we came home well, later and Jerry said, well, what's my, all the mud all over the front porch? There is, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah the second thing, the abundant life. It was a good, it's a good thing for me to plan that I want to experience abundant life. But my problem in my life is I put that before anything. So then you have, you marry a husband who I have been with Jesus and so close to Jesus for such a long time because I was 33 and he's not Jesus, right? And so (laughs) it would make me so angry that he would not, he's hindering my abundant life. I'm supposed to have this amazing marriage all the time. And I would get angry inside, right? And then I don't see this in the notes. That was extra. Okay, we move on here. And then. And then if you have kids, my, I, I've said this before, my, my, I thought was it would be, I'd parent, but it would be, you know, fun. And we'd get up and we'd have breakfast and maybe we'd pray together. I don't know. We'd drive to school. And within five seconds, one of them's picking on the other one or, I've, or something's happened. And it would bring out in me, it scared me because you guys know what I'm talking about. It's a rage that comes from so deep. It's like, bleh, it was bad. But I would experience this anger. And I really, it was sweet how God finally said, honey, it's because you have put the plan of abundant life before me that I had made. They were messing my world up as if I deserve the abundant life, people. And that's so not fair, but we do it all the time on any aspect of what we put as the plan that other people get in the way of doing that. Yeah, she's going to say one more thing, but let me just jump in real quick. One of the problems I see with plans directing our lives, ultimately one of the most dangerous things is they begin to dictate our relationship with God. Just like money, or Jesus said, you can't have money as a master and God as a master because they're opposed to each other. Well, if plans are your master, God's not going to be a very good master. And, and, and what I even mean by that in a, in a real broken sense is that when, when the plans don't happen the way we want to, 
then eventually we begin to blame God and distance ourselves from God because we expect him to be the plan maker, but our plans instead of his plans. Like what Brian said last week, yeah. last weekend. Yeah, Brian said last week in his testimony about money, he said, Every, I was doing everything right. Why in the world was my life falling apart? God, I thought you were supposed to like guarantee that, that all this would work. And he, what Brian told us last week was he was learning that he was seeking what God could give him instead of just seeking him. Yeah, and it's true for if we have kids or grandkids too. It's not just the plans we have for our lives that we need to submit. It's the plans for our kids that God has that we have to submit to those plans. And for our grandkids and learn to let go of that. Um, man, the whole, it's funny how God uses stuff, but the whole wanting to be married thing really, God used it to draw me close to him. And you, you get a little healthier and you trust him a little more. Um, and I really struggled to trust him. And I read a book, um, Hind's Feet on High Places, about a woman, named, a girl named Much Afraid. She wants to go to the mountains. And the shepherd is who she goes to to get there, Jesus. And it's a metaphor like Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great little book. But near the end of the book, she gets to the mountain, and, and Jesus, or the shepherd says to her, now I want you to lay on the altar, and I have to take something out of you and replace it with something so that you can experience what you really want. I had to shut the book. I was like, no way. You're going to screw me over, and I'm going to be more content. Excuse me for that, but that's real. I'm going to be so content with you, Jesus, that I will not want to be married anymore, and you're going to send me some random place, and I'll be happy as a clam but I want to get married. And I don't know if you've ever wrestled with God like that. Like, Ugh! if I surrender to you, you're going to make me content with just you, and I want more than just you. Uh, I don't know if you can relate to that, but it was a filter that I, I saw everything through. So not only does each heart have a plan, but listen, it goes a little further than that. Each heart also has a way that we see those plans coming together. It's not just that I thought... Um, you know, that I would go to this school and then get this job. It's, I thought I would have that by the time I was 24. Or I thought I'd be married by the time I was this age. Or I thought it, when I started my business, by the time it was five years old, that it would be this successful. Listen, it's not just that we have plans, but inside of us, we think it's going to follow this. And so we get devastated, not just even when the plan doesn't happen. We get devastated long before it may or may not happen because it doesn't go exactly the way we thought it would. Anybody ever feel that way? Right? So it, it, Acts 7 goes on about Moses. He thought his own people would realize he was going to rescue them. But they did not. The next day, Moses comes up to two Israelites who were fighting. He tried to reconcile with them, saying, Men, brothers, you're brothers. Why do you want to hurt each other? And he turns around and tells Moses, Who made you ruler and judge over the, us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? Oh, man, Moses was in trouble. When he heard this, he then fled to Midian, where he settled as a foreigner and had two sons. Moses went from the royal palace to the middle of the Arabian desert, because he jumped ahead of God's plan and thought he knew the steps that it would be in order for him to become this person. And we do that not only for ourselves, but like Jerry said, for our kids. It's difficult to watch sometimes the younger kids play sports that our kids are in now, but let me just tell you what, I put myself in the same boat, but I just happen to be more aware of it because I'm coaching and not, not doing it so much myself. But I listen to parents, they are harsh. I mean, sometimes disgusting on their own kids. And I told Jerry yesterday, it amazes me, a kid will do the exact same thing that a, a coach or a parent sees in their own kid, and then a kid who's not their kid will do the same thing, kick the ball the same way, throw the ball the same way, catch the ball or not catch the ball the same way, and they encourage the other one, hey, good try, nice try, you're doing good. And then when their own kid does it, come on, what are you thinking? Pick up the ball. And I just was just meditating on this all day yesterday afternoon. And you know what I, I think about, because I do it too sometimes is you know what, we, we begin to play the marionette on our kids' lives. 
because we want so bad for them to be successful that our own personal fears and our own personal things that we have not accomplished, then we push onto them and we want them to do this and we encourage others, but we're hard on our own. And I don't think that's the way it's supposed to be. It is really tough not just to even trust the plans of God, but to trust each and every step. Well, you go ahead. We're gonna oh, okay. Well, what he's talking about is that we can get such a clear, we can think we see the plans so that we can just basically say, God, this is a great plan I have. Like I can see the steps and if you did this and that. He does it all the time. Okay, track with me here. If you ever watch Seinfeld, there was a whole episode, the yada, yada, yada episode. Do you remember this? If you didn't, you don't have to watch it. But basically they would say, someone would say, they were all telling stories and they'd say, so I went to the park today and then yada, yada, yada. And then the next thing I know, I got arrested. And everyone in the room is like, well, it's the yada, yada that I want to know. What, what's the yada, yada? And they would, they would do this the whole show. Well, the yada, yada, yada. And then, oh, my goodness, then this happened. And they're like, well, what, what was the yada, yada? Because that's the part that we want to know, right? So keep that in mind, all right? Jeremiah 29:11. Most of you know this verse. Listen to this. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. Well, I wanted to break that down, all right? So here's what's ironic about this. God says, for I know, right? Guess what the Hebrew word is for know? Yada. Yada. (laughs) So God knows the yada, yada, yada. And very rarely does he tell us the yada, 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 but he knows it. I think that's hilarious. For I, yada, 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 I know that part. He he knows between where I am and where I'm going. He knows all the steps in between. But he doesn't always tell us that, but he knows it. And the word know, the word is yada, and it means to perceive, to understand, to declare, to speak. Basically, God has seen your yada, yada, yada. He's already seen it, so he knows it. The plans, which is the thoughts, the purposes, the works he created in advance for you to do, for me to do. He's already seen it. I have. It says, for I know the plans I have, the thoughts he has, the imagination, the things he's imagined for you. And it says for you because it is personal, which is so sweet. It is not just a blanket statement. It is for you personal, no matter where you are, the circumstance, the consequence, whatever. He says, I know it. I've seen it. I, I Follow me to the end. And here's two other versions of that verse, and I like hearing it differently. King James Version. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you an expected end. And here's the message. This is my favorite. I know what I'm doing. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not to abandon you. Plans to give you the future that you actually hope for. The plans for my life cannot lead my life. I must follow the one who has seen it already. And the older I get, I learn to trust him in those steps, that if I'm faithful with following him in those steps, I will get to where he's built me to go. Mm-hmm. I'm going to switch your batteries. And so the third point is this. Our lives are to be directed by God one step at a time. I mean, that's what we've been saying is our plans are not to control us. No good. Uh, we become obsessed. We become devastated. We become angry. We become worried. But when God is the one who directs us, we trust our plans to him, and now our job is just to focus on God. But the hard part is one step at a time, right? Trusting him for each little step. Um, I had a professor in, in college that said that our direction in life will flow through relationship. It always comes through relationships and through, through the relationships that we have with each other. I totally agree. 
And in my very first class at graduate work, a professor gave a great, great illustration of this for her own life. She got her master's or PhD. She was just a driven person. She, she wanted to graduate the top of her class and, and get all these honors and scholarships. And she said, you know what? She was telling us this as a class. She goes, you know what? I did. And I'm driving to the ceremony of getting my PhD in the car, and I'm overwhelmed with sadness. She said, I pulled the car off the side of the road, and I'm weeping. And she's like, God, what is wrong with me? I accomplished everything I wanted. And she said, God said in such a soft and gentle but, but stern voice, he said, yeah, you did, but you did it without me and without relationships. And she had spent five, six years basically cutting off her relationship with God and family and others so that she could focus so much on the goal that now she achieved it and it felt empty because God doesn't want plans to control your life. God is a relational God. He wants to be part of it and interactive with you. Psalm 138, though I'm surrounded by troubles, you will protect me from the anger of my enemies. You reach out your hand and the power of your right hand saves me. The Lord will work out his plans for my life. For your faithful love, O Lord, endures forever. Don't abandon me for you made me. And the reason I chose this verse, I love 138, eight, the Lord will work out his plans for my life, but the context is verse 7, that even when I'm going through troubles, even when I don't seem like it's working, God says, I am taking it step by step. Trust me, I will work out the purpose for your life. And there's a few important things to know when God is directing us one step at a time, things we get in trouble with. Number one, we have to learn to wait for the next step. Anybody have trouble with that one? You're like, come on, God, I'm ready. Bring the next step, right? Many of you may not know the story, this is pretty incredible, but Nate, who leads worship here, this wife, Daisha, and has done a great job with our team, don't they do a great job? I'm so thankful for them and so glad they're here, um, but I was praying. We had a Gettysburg College student doing worship, and she was doing a great job, but it was a lot for her to manage together, and she was struggling, and worship is an important thing to me, and this was a couple years ago now, and we needed somebody, and I was praying, and, and the picture of Nate came into my mind. That doesn't happen very often. I don't see pictures when I pray very often. And I'm like, who is that guy? I've met him. I had no idea what his name was or what he did. So I called my friend who I knew knew him and said, who's that guy I see you with at convention? He says, his name's Nate. I said, what does he do? He goes, he's a worship leader. I'm like, oh my gosh. God, I just was praying and I had his face in my head. I, I, I got to call him. And I hang up my, my, the phone and like I always do, right? And I'm like, I'm ready to dial him up. I got his number. And as I'm calling him, God says, put the phone down. I mean, I, I was not audible, but it was so strong. And I'm like, what? Like, like, that was incredible. You told me he was worship leader. Like, I got to call him. And God said, no. And I'm telling you what, this is one of the hardest seasons of my life. I'm telling you, three months, God would not let me call Nate. Three months. My friend had said, oh, you should call him because he's been talking to his pastor about maybe going somewhere else. You don't want to lose him. I'm like, God, I don't want to lose him. No, you're not allowed to. Three Nate, months. Nate, Nate and Daisha were in Iowa at the time. Idaho. Idaho, yeah, Iowa. Yeah. November, December, January. It was the first of February, and I'll never forget one day I was praying, and I, f I just felt this thing in my heart where God says it's okay to call Nate. And I'm, I called my friend up real quick, and I said, did he get another job? Whatever happened? He said, no, you need to call him now. And I said, why? He goes, well, I think he just talked to his pastor. So I called, I called Nate up, and Nate was shocked. Here's what happened. I called him on a Thursday. I'll never forget. Nate told me, you know, yesterday, Wednesday, three months I've been waiting. He said, yesterday, I went into my pastor's office, and I told him, I don't know why, but I'm resigning. God is calling us east, and I have no idea where, but I know that God wants us to go east. And he says, don't take it personal. I don't want the church to take it personal. We've grown up here. We don't know where we're going. We just know God wants us to go east. Are you kidding me? 
The reason you wait for the steps is not just for yourself, but for others. Because Nate and his family and their church and their pastor needed to know that they were moving on because God called them. And I needed to know that God is just in control again. What a, what a step, I, what, I, what I would have missed had I skipped that step, but so hard. So you have to wait for the next step. Number two, here's a tough one. I'll let Jerry say something about this. You have to trust the step that doesn't seem to fit in your little plan of steps to get to the plan. Kind of like Nate and Daisha. Yeah. You go, to a, you go to your boss and you say, I, I need to stop because I don't know what I'm doing, but I know I'm supposed to do something. That is God. We'll, we'll be going this direction and God will say, turn right. And we're like, but, but where I'm going is in front of me. And he'll yeah. go, turn right. And he knows that in turning right, he will get us to where we want to go in the fullness of what he has. That takes a lot of trust. Um, so I had told you about my binder, right? So I'd started it when I was in high school and it was, it was full. And I'm not kidding. It had the little pocket sleeves and I cut out things and they were pretty. And I, I mean, it was good. It was a nice book. It was my plan. And I was praying and crying. As, I mean, it was boy number one, two. This is boy number three. No, two, three. I don't know. How many boyfriends did you have before me? I had. They were undefined relationships. Hmm. So this one I'd kissed, but... We were friends, and so it was confusing, and I, bleh. And he would always like new girl. Anyway, but I was crying, and I remember, God, what is the problem? Why won't you do what you do? What's wrong with me? Blah, blah, blah. I was in junior high. But. He was in junior high, so that was really the issue. It wouldn't have worked. It would have been just wrong. So... But I remember sitting in my bed in my little college place, and I was crying, and God made me look over to my bookshelf, and he said, throw it away. And I was like, what? No, that's the plan. And if you know if you have something tangible, you kind of hold on to it because it, 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 it is a symbol of what everything is. And he said, throw the book away. And honestly, it was a wrestling match with me and God for a, a, a while. But I did. I eventually threw it away because that symbolized the idol of what I thought I wanted. Mm. And, and God clearly had so much more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. But I did. I threw it away. But it was a step that I would not have taken at all. She, Jerry really brings us to the final point beautifully in the sense that the final step is this. You have to surrender. You have to make your plan to follow his plans. And that's what God was doing when he said to throw the binder away. Throw it away. Not just because God wasn't going to do it, but I don't say this to be funny because it's me, but it's true for every single one of us. God basically just saying, listen, you don't even know. My plan is so much better and so much greater than yours. But you all have to get there. But before we we, we finish this last point, we're going to take communion. I just feel like I, I need to say what I was going to say a minute ago, that the third little part here about what you have to do with step by step, because I think some of you are here. You have to resist taking it over. I think some of you right now are about ready to take some steps, mm-hmm. that you're going to force some doors open, you're going to force some steps. I just felt like that in both services. And I just want to implore you today, maybe God had you come just to listen to this right now, don't force it open. I'm so glad I didn't force it with Nate and many other times in my lives, and when I have forced it, it didn't go well. Don't force it. Trust the plan to him. And let him work it out. And then surrender. Make well, your plan to follow his plan. And I want to say, because I know that God gave me, Mark, on our worst day, I, the enemy can't say it's because you manipulated it. Because I did manipulate my relationships. I wanted them to work. And I would, you know, do stuff and whatever. But with this one, God said, let me do it. And I let him do it. So on our worst day, I know that this is my husband. And that's huge for any area of your life that you can know that. I know. I that. know. I know that too. My worst day. Yeah. Um, I'm going to let her finish this out. Um, I, I call it the American Idol reality check. That, you know, if we're just going to be honest, right? I mean, not everyone's going to make Amer- American Idol. Some of them actually could win, but they don't. But many thousands actually think they have a chance, and they don't. 
And I think we just need to understand, have the same self-awareness in our lives, that God is infinitely greater and smarter than us, and that perhaps we don't even know the greatest plan. Perhaps we actually need to surrender to him because he knows more than us. Did you say the final point? Yeah. Good. All right, surrender. Um, so when I was about 25, these are the steps that I can look back so far, and I'm so not done. But I was in Panama City, Florida on a staff of a, a, a centrifuge youth retreat, summer retreat. 700 kids every week would come, and I, one of the boys was there on staff with me that I was in school with. And nice guy, but he always liked a different counselor every week. And it would devastate me because, wait, you're the plan, and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. And I was devastated. And I remember one night I walked across the street. It was in the Summer Beach Resort in Panama City. I walked across the street, sat down on the beach, and was overwhelmed by the reality of, God, I can't do this anymore. You have to do this. You have to pick my husband because I will mess it up. I don't know who I'm going to be in 20 years. I will mess this up. It was the first step for me of surrender. Now, it doesn't mean it wasn't hard. It didn't mean I wasn't afraid. It just meant that I now gave him a little more control. And then what? I was 25 then, about Five years later, age 30, um, I, another boy, he was a good guy. Um, this is in Oak Harbor, Washington. He went on deployment. We had a great relationship, wonderful guy. I could have married him. But when he went on deployment, God gave me this verse. It was Hebrews 11, or 13, 21. And it said, work in us what is pleasing to you. That was my second step of surrender. That I literally was like, God, I'd look at a picture of us. And I'd be, God, you work in us what's pleasing to you, whatever that means. And that was the year that I moved to Washington State. And we oh, met. see, he's so smart. Mm -hmm, yeah. I didn't know him. He was, yeah. But, but that was my prayer, and it was honest, and it was sincere. God, work in us was pleasing to you. I still now pray that for us. I surrender my plans and do that. And then my big one was, I was 32, so two years later, Mark is in the picture. We're hanging out. We're friends. I didn't like him as a boy. He didn't like me as a girl. Everyone else thought we did. It was, it was good how God did it. Um, and I was washing clothes in my little apartment in Coopville, and all of a sudden, God gave me a glimpse of what he was doing. The thing I'd prayed to him and, and begged and cried for years. Our main conversation, he basically was like, I'm doing this. And I freaked out. I basically had an anxiety attack. I started crying and shaking, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know how to do this. I, I can do it here, but I don't know how to do it in real life. I was overwhelmed by the glimpse, glimpse he gave me. I slid down the wall. <laughs> so dramatic, but I did. And I was crying. Then the phone rang, and I answered it. And It was like, the glimpse. It was him, the glimpse. He's like, hey, Jerry, I need to go to Walmart, blah, blah, blah. What is this thing you bought last time? And I was like, oh, hi, it's this, da, da, da. click. <laughs> I mean, I was overwhelmed because like Moses, later on in his life, he had a burning bush experience, right? Forty years after he killed the Egyptian, he has a burning bush experience 40, where God's... Forty years. Forty years. Forty and he had a burning bush experience. Is what Henry Blackaby is a great Bible teacher and a speaker, and he calls it the crisis of belief. When God gives you a glimpse of what He's doing, and it's overwhelming, right? That oh, it blows my mind that he experienced that. He saw a glimpse, and he was afraid. And God says this to him, "But I'll go with you." He gave him the plan. He said, "But I will go with you." So here's the cool thing to me. That's Moses at the burning bush, scared, wimpy, wants to take his brother, doesn't know how he's going to do it. And then you go all the way to the end of Moses's life. And he's talking to Joshua. And he's experienced all these steps of trusting God and wrestling and being afraid. And this is what Moses says to Joshua. Be brave and strong as you lead these people. The Lord made a promise. The Lord will lead you. He will always be with you and help you. So don't you ever be afraid. Mm -hmm. But he didn't just say it because it was sweet scripture. He said it because now he knew it. 
And he believed it. And I can say that in my life. I am not done. And I have to remember this. But I do know when I look back, I can tell you that my Jesus has never, ever left me. I met him when I was six. And he has never, ever left me. Even when I was afraid. Even when I was crying. Even when it was hard. He has never left me. And that has been worth it, more worth it to know than anything. Yeah. And there's a verse. Yeah, well, I called out to God most high, to the God who fulfills his purpose for me. That's why we surrender it. Here's what I'd like you to do. Would you stand to your feet? And we're going to finish with communion, and we'll do this real, real quickly as we close. But I want you to stand to your feet because I, I want you to shift and get your energy out for a second, and I want you to look up here. Listen, our example in all this, listen, your, your, your plans, please, if I can implore you, your plans for the rest of the day can, can give you five more minutes. Jesus is there in the garden. He says he went as usual to the Mount of Olives, he knelt down, he prayed, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. This is an amazing part of Jesus' life I have no problems with. He, he wasn't saying that we weren't worth him dying. He was just saying, God, this is a really, really, really hard way to do it. And if there's any other way, God, if we can avoid the, just the pain and the brokenness and the separation from you of being on the cross, God, if, there's a, if Father, if there's a way that we can avoid that, let's do it. But if not, what does he say? Not my will. In other words, not my plan, but may your will, may your plans be done. Jesus lived his whole life to be submissive to the Father because he knew the Father's plan meant reconciling, bringing people back into relationship with the Father. I find this to be so amazing about Jesus because today's Palm Sunday, right? And on Palm Sunday, on Palm Sunday, the week before we will celebrate this year on Easter, the week before it all happened that, that week, it says Jesus was coming in there at the Mount of Olives and people are laying down their clothes and they're cheering, Hosanna, blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. I mean, it's just excitement and that had to feel good for Jesus in that moment. But then in the very next moment, it says as he looked out over Jerusalem, he wept. Why? I mean, ultimately in the message today, why did he weep? Because he knew that his plans were not going to come to pass. He said, oh, if only Jerusalem. If only you would open up your hearts. If only you would receive me. Oh, you would be saved. But, he, but he, he, goes, he knows you won't. Jesus knew in that moment that many people would not accept the Father's plan, even though some did. And he carried it out anyway. He decided his death and the sacrifice of his life was worth it. He not only died and gives hope to resurrection of those people who died in Egypt today, but he died for the ones who killed them, didn't he? He died in the hopes that they may change their minds and accept the life that is in Jesus Christ. But even if they didn't, Jesus said, I'll carry it out anyway. Not my will, but yours be done. So as we come to the communion table this morning, I, I just want, I want to invite each of you. There's tables all the way around the room, up front, off the sides. And there's an invitation for you that some of you, you may not know God. Maybe you've not started a relationship with him. You know, you can do it up here today. That's what this whole thing's about to realize that you can't figure out and orchestrate and control the perfect plan for your life, but you come up here today and you want to give your life to Jesus. The, the, the bread and the juice representing his body and his blood, you're forgiven, new life in him. Give it to him. Turn your life, your plans over to Jesus and meet him today in this moment. He invites you to do that. For the rest of us or for others that maybe have done that before, we get to come up and renew our, our, our remembrance and remind ourselves, God, you're in control. And some of us need to do that. We need to repent. Man, we've been letting our plans and different things control us and manipulate us like a marionette doll. And boy, we come up here and say, Jesus, huh, you did all this for us and we can trust you and surrender our lives to you. What a great way to end as we sing that song again. Love ran red. It, it, it came for us. 
So let's do that. Lord, I, I pray that as we come down this morning, you open up our hearts, you open up our lives to trust you with our lives and our plans. Lord, even right now, may we focus in on you and what you have to say to us as we close this time with you, with you, in Jesus' name.